Hi, my name is Bobby Kaling, and this is my story. Well, life before Jesus was um, sad. It was me always seeking, never having enough, um, being unfulfilled. Um, I often sought that unfulfilledness in things like drugs, alcohol, relationships. Um, I sought it in even things like church. And uh, then I met Jesus, and uh, everything changed. And, um, well, now I still seek those things, but um, I still want comfort. I still don't like being tired. (laughs) I still want to be encouraged, and I, I still sometimes get lonely. But now I know it when I seek those things, and I feel that way. It's because I'm seeking them in the world still. And uh, the great news is that I can turn to Jesus and I can find those things in Him. But not just find those things. I can find forgiveness for seeking them in the world. And I can find love. And, uh, and I can find Him. And those are better than those things. And um, I can put those things in their proper place. And I can enjoy those gifts. I can enjoy comfort in Him, and I can enjoy love, and I can enjoy rest, but most of all, I can enjoy Him. And that's a beautiful life. Hey, welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Jake. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown, and so thankful to uh, be here with all of you guys. Bobby, thanks for sharing your story. Uh, a little Halloween edition, almost, to, to, to the, with the lighting of that deal, but that was, uh, that was great. I really, really love just kicking off this, uh, the beginning of every one of these uh, messages during this series, uh, getting to hear people's stories, encountering Jesus and what Jesus has done in their life. And again, Bobby, thanks again for sharing that. And um, so that's the series that we have been in. And, and actually, sadly, I guess I would say, because I've really enjoyed getting to study this stuff and getting to talk about it over the course of this past um, uh, few weeks. But sadly, we're actually bringing this series to a close today. And so we've been looking at John chapters 1 through 4 and really zeroing in on these uh, various interactions, these encounters, if you will, that uh, various people had with Jesus. And what we've seen is that in these interactions with Jesus... People have had these just meaningful times where they've come to better understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do, and it's really led to life change in their lives. And what we've been saying and just thankful for is that because uh, the... Uh, disciple John, who was one, who was, I guess you could make the argument, the Jesus' best friend, his his closest friend. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' life in a, in a with a perspective that was kind of unique to him alone because of how close he was to Jesus. And he records he records these interactions for us to read, you know, thousands of years later now, two thousand years later, and be able to almost be like a fly in the wall looking in on these conversations. And we've said these conversations changed these people's lives, but as we listen in and see who Jesus is and what he has to say to them, it can also change our lives as well. And I hope that uh, through looking at these encounters with Jesus, you have, if you will, been able to encounter Jesus to a greater 
since. So the course of this last six weeks, and this will be our seventh week looking at this. And, and, um, so anyways, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. We're going to, the, the passage we're going to look at today is John chapter four. We're going to pick up at verse 43. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, pull it up in your phone. I'll actually uh, have it up here on slides as well. But, uh, that's where we're going to be looking at. And it's the encounter with who I'm calling the believing father, the believing father. You'll see why I call him that in a little bit. But, uh, it's, it's basically what we're going to look at this morning is how, uh, what, what will often drive us to encounter Jesus, and then the way to encounter Jesus, and then we're going to spend some time just thinking about who, who is the one that we get to encounter as a result of kind of recap of this series. So let me read this for us. John 4, picking up in verse 43, says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, talking about Jesus, verse 44 says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had uh, made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour When Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. All right. So this passage begins with Jesus. He's he's done some traveling. He'd he'd been in Cana. He'd left Cana. He'd gone to Jerusalem. And he's coming back through Samaria. That's where we saw last week. And he's coming back to Cana, which is kind of Galilee. is his kind of hometown or home region, if you will. And and, it makes this kind of interesting remark here in verse 44. It gives you kind of insight to the attitude of the people in that region towards Jesus. Is that they were very excited to see him. But in their excitement, they weren't excited about things that honored Jesus. They were excited to see him, but they were greeting him as a miracle worker. They weren't believing what Jesus was saying about who he was and what he'd come to do. They were just happy to see him perform miracles. And so Jesus was growing in a lot of fame. Like people were like crowds, great crowds were gathered, gathering around him. So he shows up and everyone's welcoming him, excited to be there because they're, they want to see the the miracle worker. And I think we would probably do the same if there really was someone who was doing some crazy stuff, like especially turning water to wine. I think a lot of us would hang out with that guy a lot. It's like, hey, let's hang out with him. Instant party. And so, you know, they're excited about that. But Jesus isn't being honored by their welcome because they're just in it for themselves. They're, they're about what Jesus can do for them, but they have no interest in who Jesus is saying he is. So that's interesting just to note about what's going on in the attitude of that region. But he shows up, he's in Cana, and word travels fast that Jesus is back in this region. And so it travels all the way to Capernaum, which was about 13 miles away. And in Capernaum, there's this official, this royal official, whose son is dying. And this guy, in desperation, leaves the bed of his son 
and heads, takes the half-mile marathon, or half-marathon, 13-mile uh, journey to uh, Cana to see if Jesus could, would go back with him and heal his son. And, okay, so that, that's kind of what's happening. Let me stop right there and just draw out a couple observations. First is, what do we see here that is kind of driving this father to encounter Jesus? What drives him to do that? Well, his son, is, his son is dying, right? And you could say that it, it's this realization that uh, things aren't right. And in fact, in that case, you would say it's horribly wrong. And that he, has, he doesn't have the power to make things right. And so he, he looks to something, someone else, this case, he looks to Jesus to see if there's any way that Jesus could set things right. And guys, just to, again, to draw a couple observations for us right from the get-go on this message, is that that often is what, how it works for us as well, isn't it? Now, oftentimes we have this, uh, this motivation, we're compelled, we have this drive, if you will, to go to Jesus when we recognize that things are not right. And things are not right. I mean, right now, you don't, you don't have to look very far in the news or, 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 or the world around us to, to realize that things seem to be really broken. I mean, Ebola or ISIS or any of the other various wars that seem to be break, about to break out any moment now. But I mean, it just doesn't take long to see that the world isn't right. But maybe this is just a sad commentary of our day, but it, we're so numb to that. I mean, it bothers us, but it doesn't shake us, usually. I mean, I guess you could say our country's getting close to this panicky shaking thing over Ebola, which seems kind of weird when it's just a few people that are sick. But, like, oftentimes, we don't really get shaken by what's generally wrong with our world today. It takes it coming home to you. It takes something happening to you personally to really wake you up to things not being right. Like, in this case, this dad... It's his son that's sick. It's not just that children get sick. It's that his son is sick. And that drives him to Jesus. And, and it's just an observation. But oftentimes it takes things to come home to you, to be personal for you, to really get you moving to see, I've got to find someone or something that's going to set this right. Personally for me, this is uh, ringing true on a really hard level uh, with some of y'all. I've kept y'all in the loop, some of you, about this. But like with my sister, my sister Kaylee is... Uh, Seven years younger than me, she just had her first child. And uh, her little girl, Annabelle, is a little over a month old. But Annabelle's not doing well. And uh, she is, had some chromosomal abnormalities. They weren't sure how that was going to play out. And uh, as it turns out now, she, she's blind and she may never walk. And uh, she is mentally dis- impaired and may suffer from very severe seizures her entire life. And on top of that, she's had a really hard time breathing, and her lungs have now developed, which is really good, and we praise God for that, but her airways are so small, she's still very tiny, that they've been getting uh, um, restricted, and, and she's been having these episodes where they've basically had to resuscitate her a number of times to keep her alive. And, and so this past week, they actually moved her from the hospital she was, uh, she was at, where she was born, to uh, St. David's down here on 32nd Street, because uh, they would move her to that NICU to be able to do uh, a tracheotomy. And she had a trach put in on Friday. Big surgery. I was there with my, my sister, and she was very emotional, <laughs> as you can imagine. And um, surgery went well, but uh, they're having to sedate Annabelle for this whole next week just to make sure she doesn't pull this trach out. And it's, it's just hard, so hard. And it's, uh, I know 
that kids are born every day with complications, disabilities like that or worse. But it doesn't move me. Like it, I guess I'm not as compassionate as some of y'all might be. But it comes home to my sister, it comes home to me, and now I can't hardly drive past St. David's or Dell Children's Home without tearing up. It's like, it's just, the, man, this world is broken. And like, that shouldn't be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And we live in like this sin-scarred, sin-torn world. And when, when you realize that, and it comes home to you, you think, man, okay, I need, I need someone to make this right. And of course, we would try to make it right. I mean, we, if we could, we, we would make it right. And like this guy in this story, of course, he would try to make it right. I'm sure he's done lots to try to make it right for his son. He's probably tried lots of things to heal him, but his son isn't getting better. And this guy, we're told he's a royal official. He worked, most biblical scholars think he probably worked under King Herod Antipas and his royal court. And so this guy had power. He was used to being in control. And so he's, he's thinking, man, like, but here he's facing his son just creeping closer and closer to death. And he's completely out of control. He doesn't have control. And so he gets up and he tries to see, like, who can fix this? Who can I go to to make this better? And as we're, we're the same way, right? I mean, we, if we could fix things, if we could fix the brokenness of our world, we would. And we try and we should try. I mean, that is a great thing, especially as Christians, we should partner with God to try to fix what's broken in this world. But the truth is, is that we alone will never be able to do that because we can't even fix what's broken in our own hearts. How are we going to fix what's broken in this world, right? I mean, I look at my sister who every day is at the NICU longing to bring Annabelle home. And then I go home and I'm around my three healthy kids and I'm on Facebook on my phone or checking ESPN. Selfishly distracted, not interacting with them. Or I get aggravated and impatient and short when they do childish things. How dare my five-year-old boys and my two-year-old girl do childish things. But I get upset about that. Because I'm so unkind. I'm so impatient I lack grace. These are the, I mean, those, my three kids plus my wife, four people I love the very most. And I can't even love my family the way I wish I could. Like, guys, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? See, there's something broken. Our world is broken. Our hearts are broken. And when we come to that realization, then God uses that to drive us to the one person, the one that can actually set what is broken in our world and in our hearts right. And depending on how hard what you're going through is right now, depending on how much the pain of this world or or brokenness of your own heart is coming home to you right now, I I just want to say that uh, this might be hard to hear, but actually, for me, I feel like I'm experiencing a lot of that right now. This has been really helpful to hear. And so I just want to share it with you. But guys, there is actually grace and mercy in the midst of suffering that God wants to use that suffering to move you to the one person that can do something about it. And that God, in his great 
care and love for us is able to take the pain of our lives and of this world and do something good with it. And one of the best things he can do with it is to let that stuff drive us to Jesus, who is the only one who can actually remedy it, who can actually restore it, redeem it, fix it, reconcile it, set it right. And guys, this man, he could have lost hope, but instead he realized he was... Things weren't right, and he couldn't set them right. And so he got up and went to Jesus. And friends, let, let us do the same. Things aren't right. We can't make them right. Let us get up and go to Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we go to Jesus? How do we really encounter Jesus? What does that look like? Well, that's basically what this whole passage is about. And so let me read these key verses to us again, picking up in verse uh, 40, uh, 48 or 47. It says, when... This man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee. He went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Okay. Just recap it, make sure we're following along here. This man's desperate. He's asking Jesus to come with him back to Capernaum. The, the Greek word that we translate ask could also be translated beg. Like he's, he's desperate. Like his son is dying. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. He thinks maybe Jesus can do something about it. And so he's begging Jesus to come with him. And how does Jesus respond? Weirdly, right? I mean, actually, to... In my, like, as I'm studying this this week, like, I'm wrestling with this, like, thing, like, Jesus, this is not how I thought that you would respond here. And I wish that you had responded differently here, because that would make this message this Sunday a lot easier to preach if you had just said something like, oh, I'm so sorry, let me heal your son. But instead, he, he says this, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Like, it feels like he's almost, like, pushing against this guy, this dad, this desperate father. He's almost being an like antagonistic towards him? Like, what is Jesus doing here? What's going on? Well, the answer to that question, and you have to get a, a feeling of what was going on in that region. Like, Jesus is back in Galilee. He's back in Cana, where people are all flocking to him, but not in a way that honors him. They're just there to see what they can get from Jesus. They're not at all interested in entrusting themselves to Jesus. They're not about believing what Jesus has said. They just want Jesus to do some things to entertain them or to make their life more comfortable. And so Jesus is speaking to this man, but in it, he's also speaking to the attitude of the region. He's saying, like, this this is what you want from me. You, you just want signs and wonders, and you will not believe unless you see these signs and wonders. And so Jesus is being, in a sense, antagonistic to this desperate father, but not without purpose. See, in it, he's actually inviting this man into some deeper belief about who Jesus is. He wants this man to see that the reason that he can go to Jesus to heal his son isn't because Jesus is some miracle worker. He wants to see that he can go to Jesus to heal his son because Jesus is God. Jesus wants to heal this boy's son. He does 
heal this boy's son. But before he does that, he wants to invite this man to come to encounter who he really is. So this man comes to Jesus looking for a gift. But when he encounters Jesus, he realizes that he's met the giver. And that's what Jesus had invited him into. The only thing that makes sense of why this man would be begging Jesus to come to Capernaum with him to heal his son. And then a few, few sentences, a few moments later, saying, okay, you said that my son is healed. I'm going to go. I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to go. The only reason why that would take place, I mean, again, put yourself in his shoes. What would have to take place for you if Jesus is your only hope to heal your dying son, for you to leave him, take him at his word, and head home? What would have to take place? The only thing that would cause a desperate father in that desperate circumstances to do that is if he began to understand who it was he was actually talking to. That Jesus is not just a miracle worker. But he's God, who can heal his son from 13 miles away by just speaking some words. Go, your son is better. Guys, there's, there's something here for us, for us to learn. See, hard stuff will drive us to Jesus. And it should. It's good. That's, that's right. When life is spinning out of control or suffering or pain has come home to you in a way where you're, you're desperate, let that drive you to Jesus. But also think, why would that drive you to Jesus? The reason we would go to Jesus when things are out of our control is because he's actually the one that's in control, Right? The reason we would go to Jesus when things are out of control is because of who Jesus is. The reason that we think Jesus could do anything to make our life better is because of who he is. If he's God, then it makes sense to go to him. But here's the thing, guys. If he's God, which he is, if he's God, then let us not just go to him when things are out of our control. Right? Let us go to him all the time, every day, and seed, give over all control. If we're going to turn to Jesus when things are out of control, that because he's in control, then we should also go to him all the time and give him all control. And this is what Jesus is inviting this man to do. The, the level of trust that he's calling this man, inviting this man into, is a level of trust that really entrusts himself to Jesus, that gives control over to Jesus. Instead of this man picking up Jesus and trying to just carry him back to Capernaum, <laughs> trying to really like take things un- in his control, which if you're a desperate father, that is crossing your mind. If you're a royal official, you're thinking, I'm calling people, using my authority to like chain Jesus up and bring him. But what is it that causes him to release control and just say, okay, I'm going I'm to trust what you've said and I'm going to go? It's because he's come to realize who Jesus is. He's actually encountered Jesus. And guys, when we encounter Jesus, when we really get who Jesus is, that he is God, let us not just go to him when we realize things are out of control. Let us go to him all the time and give him all control.
Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. The man believes the, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So he was, as he was going down, servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them in the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and his, all his household. And so the next part of the story is this guy acts on his faith, that he believes the word of God. He takes Jesus at his word. What he spoke, he believed it, and he leaves. And then his faith is confirmed. He finds Jesus to be even more trustworthy than he realized when he meets these servants the next day who come back and tell him, hey, your son, we just want you to know he's getting better. And he says, okay. And then it says that he believed but he had already believed. In fact, you see three levels of belief in this passage, don't you? Like first, Jesus says, that you only, will, like, only if you see signs and wonders will you believe. And then in verse 50, he says, and the man believed what Jesus said, believed his words and left. But then here, it says, and then he believed again. So what's, what's going on with these three different, it's like these three stages or levels, depths of belief. Well, this last one is, is a, is a real kind of maturing belief that comes when you take Jesus at his word and you act on it and then you find in acting that Jesus is indeed trustworthy and therefore you have even more belief because you find that Jesus was right and so faith that is acted on is confirmed Jesus actually knows what he's talking about. He actually is God, and he's saying the way that he's saying to live is the right way to live, or the thing he's telling you to do is the right thing to do. And you see that confirmed, which leads you to more action, which leads to more faith. I mean, it's, it's this maturing faith. That it's faith plus action equals a more mature faith, which leads to more faith. So that's what you see here. And it's interesting. Really, this whole passage, like I said, is about belief. It's, a, it's about faith. And so I want to just take a minute and talk about that for a second, because... We, uh, in our culture, faith is oftentimes looked down upon, and uh, it's also misunderstood, at least misunderstood what biblical faith really is. And in our culture, faith and hope are often used synonymously, and hope, in our, again, in our culture, not biblically, but in our culture, hope is basically boiled down to wishful thinking, isn't it? I mean, you say, man, I hope... I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. You really just mean I wish that it doesn't rain tomorrow. You know, that's, that's what, and right now we're all saying I, I hope it does rain because we still need a lot of rain here. But anyways, it, that's what it basically means. And we usually use faith, think about faith in the exact same way. But guys, biblically speaking, that is not what faith is at all. Faith is not based on a wish. Faith is based on a promise. Faith is not based on a wish. Faith is based on a promise. For example, like if I if I, I'm hanging out with Michael here at, today, and I'm thinking, man, Michael's a cool guy. I'd like to hang out with him more often. Uh, I, ho- I hope I get to see him sometime this week. And then tomorrow morning, I show up at Kirby Lane at 6 a.m., and I just sit there by myself waiting for Michael to walk in the door because I really was hoping to get to hang out with him. I would be an idiot, right? But if I'm hanging out with Michael today, and he, we're saying, hey, man, we should hang out sometime. He says, yeah. How about we meet at Kirby Lane tomorrow at 6 a.m.? And then tomorrow I show up at Kirby Lane at 6 a.m. Based on what 
Michael had said, I'm showing up in good faith. As long as Michael doesn't have a reputation for standing people up at 6 a.m., which I have no idea if you have that reputation or not. But as long as, long as then I show up in good faith, it's, it makes sense for me to be there. Why? Because I'm acting on a promise. I'm acting on what Michael said. Guys, that's, that's what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is when we act on a promise, the promise of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 is probably the best passage that kind of just succinctly states what faith is. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Well, how do you get assurance of what's hoped for? How do you get conviction of things not seen? You get it based on what someone has said, namely, in this case, what God has said. If you keep reading that passage, that's the hall of faith, right? It's the cheesy church terminology for that passage, Hebrews 11. But it, it just talks about these guys and, just, and women, these men and women of great faith. But their faith was all based on things that, G, that God had said to them. And they acted accordingly to believing the promise of God. Because that's what faith is. The difference between hope in our culture, cultural hope, and biblical faith is the promise and namely a promise from God. And guys, God loves when we take him at his word. He loves it. He loves big faith. That's why Jesus invites this man to go from believing based on signs and wonders to believing based on his word. That's why he gets, says, go your son, it will be healed. And he gives this man an opportunity to actually take Jesus at his word and leave. And this guy does. And in that sense, he's a great prototype, a great example for us of what kind of faith we are called to. To believe Jesus, to take Jesus at his word. That's the kind of faith that God absolutely loves. I, th- I think about the story in Luke chapter 7. It's a real simpler story to this. In Luke chapter 7, you got a story of a Roman centurion who had a servant that he deeply loved, and the servant was sick. And the servant, and so the, the centurion sends for Jesus to heal his servant. But as his servants go to Jesus to get his attention and tell him to come, Then the centurion sends another messenger to Jesus that says this, like I think it's up here. It says, and Jesus went with them when he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. And look how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Guys, what do you do to get Jesus to praise you to other people? (laughs) Have big faith. What do you do to amaze Jesus, to call Jesus to, to marvel at you? What do you do? Have big faith. Believe that Jesus' word and take it as truth and act on that. That's what Jesus wants from us. And guys, that's the way to encounter Jesus. That we would take Jesus at his word. Then we are ushered into a deeper, richer relationship with God. Jesus calls this man to believe his word. It leads to life for his son. And guys, if we would believe the word of Jesus, it will also lead to life. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing, 
and hearing through the word of Christ. And then Romans 3.16 says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So faith comes from hearing the word of God. But that faith then leads to everlasting life, that whoever would believe in him will have everlasting life. Because will we believe what Jesus has said? This passage, you've got three levels of faith. You've got faith based on sign. You've got faith based on the promise of Jesus. And then the last one is you have maturing faith that comes from acting on the promise. And we have people in this room that are all over the place on those three areas. And guys, that's, that's fine. If you're in the place where you're believing, where you say, well, I, I don't even know if I fully believe this, but I've got look, enough to think that it's worth giving my time to investigate if Jesus really is who he says he is. And so I'm looking for some signs. I'm looking to see if there's any evidence. I, I'm trying to see if there's any reason why I could believe that Jesus is who he says he is. If that's where you are, then let me tell you, awesome. Jesus loves that. Jesus calls us to think about this stuff. When we think about John chapter 2, when we talked about this interaction with Nathaniel, that Nathaniel quickly goes to the point that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and Jesus actually pushes against Nathaniel. He's like, oh, you're, you're, you're so quick to decide this now. And he actually encourages Nathaniel to think, to ask more questions. Jesus does that. And guys, if that's where you're at, then that's fine. That's good. In fact, we, what we're doing in our MCs right now is all about that. And so come, come join an MC and talk about, is there any rational reason to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? We're investigating. We're looking for signs. That's good. But don't stay there. Don't stay there forever. And that's what Jesus is doing to this man. This man had done the investigation. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about the things that Jesus had done. He had heard about the miracles. It's why he comes to his senses. He thinks, okay, my son's dying. I need to go. I need someone to fix this. Who can I go to? He goes to Jesus based off of Jesus' signs. It's what led him to encounter Jesus initially. But based off those signs and based off of encountering Jesus, Jesus calls him to move past that level of belief. To actually believe based on what Jesus said, who he is. To believe Jesus, his word. To take Jesus at his word. And guys, that's what Jesus would invite all of us to. If you're in the, if you're in the belief based on sign and wonders, then eventually please hear Jesus saying, hey, okay, that's good. But now believe me based on what I've said. Can you take me at my word? And friends, you can. Because he's trustworthy. Take him at his word. And then when you take him at his word, that leads to life. It led to life for this man's son. It will lead to life for us. And as you act on that, then you have a more maturing faith. You believe Jesus and you act. And as you act, you see Jesus confirm what he said is true. It leads you to believe all the more. It leads you to act all the more. Let's believe and act. My question really is, will you trust him? Will, Will you trust him? 
if you've been investigating for a while, will you just just take the step and trust him based on what he said? He said that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Will you believe that? For the rest of us, if you've already believed that, will you trust him all the more? If you've trust him already with your eternal security, will you trust him with your finances? Will you trust him with your marriage? Will you trust him with your parenting? Will you trust him with your job? Will you trust him with your job security? Will you trust him that of, on everything that he said to think that that's the right way to live? Will you trust that he is God and because he's God, that he's good and therefore everything he says is best? Will you trust that? Will you, go, will you say what the psalmist in Psalm 68 says, well, well, 119.68 says, God, you're good. So all you say is good. Will you teach me your decrees? Will you tell me what to do? Because I trust you. And will you act on that? Will you trust, guys, guys, in light of who Jesus is, will we trust him? It's the way to a deeper relationship with our God. Is there an area in your life right now that you know you're not trusting Jesus with? that you're hanging on to, that you're trying to be in control, you're trying to make work. Don't just turn to Jesus when things are spinning out of control. Absolutely do that. Do that. But realize the reason you can do that is because he's God and he's in control. So if you can turn to him when things are spinning out of control, then you can and you should turn to him now because he's God. And so give him all control. Are you doing that? Will you do that? Will you trust him more? I want to wrap this up by just reminding us who it is that's inviting us to trust him to this degree. Who is it the one who is the one that we encounter? Who is the one that we're called called to trust? It's, it's Jesus God Himself. It's Jesus the one that John the Baptist encountered and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is Jesus that Nathaniel encounters that says, Hey, I've come to tear apart the slab that exists between heaven and earth. I'm the bridge. I'm the bridge. I'm the one who's going to connect you to God and God to you. Will you believe him? That he's the one that Mary encounters at the wedding feast the provider of festival joy, the one who came to lavish us with the joy our hearts crave, but our world lacks. He's the one who drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf so that we can drink the cup of joy forevermore in the presence of God. He's the one who came to give us what our hearts have always longed for. He's the one that Nicodemus encountered who told him, I'm the savior of the world. It says that through me you can be born again. You can become a new person. He's the one that the woman at the well encountered. The one who offers us living water. The one who is the satisfier of our souls. The one who offers us what nothing else can. Deep satisfaction. Meaning security, and the love that we have always longed for. And in this passage, he's the one 
that this father encounters that can set right what has been set wrong. He is the one who can put an end to death. Think about this. Because God the Father, our loving Father, because He sent His Son to come and die, Jesus could say to this desperate Father, Go, your Son will live. In other words, Jesus can say, Go, your Son will live, because God the Father said, Go, my Son, and die. And Jesus did, and He did it willingly. Because he knew that through his death, he would end all death. That through the breaking of his body, he would restore the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our hearts. And so he went. Because this is the one that you're called to trust. We can trust him. Will you trust him? Will I trust him? Let us trust him. I want to give us an opportunity to voice that to God right now as I wrap up and worship team can come up and we're going to praise our awesome God that we can trust. But let's just spend a second in prayer. And I, I want to just give you an opportunity. So if we don't do this always, but I, I like taking a chance to do, to take an opportunity to do this every once in a while. And just to say, if you're, I know that we have people here in this room, a number of you, that are investigating that you've been looking into Jesus and looking for a sign to why to believe this. And guys, I just want to ask you, I just want to at least give you an invitation as Jesus gave an invitation to this guy. Will you, will you believe Jesus? Will you take him at his word and say, I, I actually, I, I trust you. I trust that you can do what you said you can do because I trust that you are who you said you are. And I want to give you an opportunity just to voice trust to God. And then I want to give the rest of us, those who have already placed their trust in Jesus for their salvation, their souls, forgiveness of their sins. But I want to give the rest of us an opportunity to say to Jesus as well, I want to trust you more. I want the kind of faith that you would marvel at. Because you're certainly worthy of that kind of trust. May I trust you with, and just you fill in the blank, whatever's on your mind, an area in your life you're not trusting Jesus with, will will you hand that to him? Will you entrust that to him? Let's pray. Father, Jesus is amazing. As we've seen over the last seven weeks, he's certainly worthy of our trust. And Lord, in trusting him, we find life and salvation and forgiveness and and the joy that we've always longed for and that that he's the one who has defeated death and he is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. We we see that, God. Well, we we see that it's not unwise for us to trust him. And in fact, it's uh, complete opposite. It's completely wise for us to trust. So we hear your invitation to trust you, God. And I, I just want to give us an opportunity here to voice our trust as individuals in you. And so I I pray for anyone in here that has yet to ever place their ultimate trust in you, Jesus, for for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins. 
I, I pray that there's someone in there, people in this room, they're there. I pray that you would help them believe, to take you at your word, and in it find life. If that's you and you want to say this to God, just go ahead and say, God, I, I trust you. hard and I don't know if I trust you fully but I'm choosing to trust you right now with what I've got based on your promise that you love me and even though I sinned and I am a sinner you died on my place on the cross you paid for my sins you rose again you defeated death and in that I can have life and so I trust you with my life I trust you as my savior God, for the rest of us in here, I pray that you'd help us trust you with every aspect of our life. That we'd recognize that we aren't in control even in the things that we think we are in control of. God, you are always in control. That we would come to you and cede all control. Out of trust, out of faith, that you are God and that you are good and loving and gracious and merciful and awesome. That we can trust you. And so God, I just... I want to ask that you'd help me trust you help these friends trust you more tell God right now what just between you and him what, what area you want to trust him with more God may we trust you more for your glory and our good in Jesus name we pray